This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Thursday's not solo episode. Because this week is Fertility Awareness Week in Canada, I wanted to do two episodes dedicated to fertility interviews. So today I'm speaking with Astrid Locke. Many of you probably follow her on Instagram and watched her on The Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise. Astrid and her husband, Kevin, went through their own fertility journey. Their first child, Augie, I think his full name is August, which is such a cute name, was born via IVF and they are newly pregnant with their second, which was also conceived via IVF. Astrid is now part of the Fertility Friends Foundation, which provides educational resources and financial support for families going through fertility treatments. She tells us all about that foundation and her involvement in this episode. She shares about her and her husband's fertility journey and just motherhood in general, of course. And then I also get into Love is Blind because I was like, who better to talk to about Love is Blind than a former Bachelor contestant? So I ask her what she thinks the difference is between a dating show like The Bachelor versus Love is Blind. So we go all over the place. It was a pleasure to meet her. So please welcome Astrid Locke to The Mom Room. All right. So today I'm speaking with Astrid Locke. Is that how you pronounce your last name? Yeah, it is. Did you switch your last name to Went? So I have on Instagram, but I haven't done any of the necessary steps to actually do it legally because I have to get Augie's U.S. passport. And I feel like I don't want to, I don't want it to get all confusing yet. So I'm not going to change my name until I get his U.S. passport. And then at that point, I'll start slowly switching my name. There's just so much between all the like licenses and social insurance and social security in the States and my U.S. passport and my residency. It's like too many things to switch that I've only done it on Instagram, which is the lazy way of changing your name. That's literally me too. I'm like, people are like, oh, you're not switching your last name? Like, why not? And I'm like, honestly, it's the paperwork. I don't want to do it. So I just never have. And I've never run into an issue. It does kind of bother me a little bit that our son doesn't have, like, I don't have the same last name as my husband and my son. So I can see myself doing it in the future when I have time to like do 24 hours worth of paperwork. But for now, I'm like, no, like, I don't want to, I don't want to go down that path. Everything also takes so long to get. So I don't want to, it keeps being to where like I have an upcoming trip. So it's like, I don't want to change my name. And then my ticket is in my last name, but my name's then been changed and I have new paperwork and then I have to call the airline and get it. Like, it's just, it seems like a lot of work. I know. But like, my goal is to do it before the second baby's born. Like, so I am giving myself till October so that by the time we have the two kids, I hopefully will just legally be a win too. But I feel like there needs to be an agency where they do everything for you. So the States has that. You can order like this box and it comes with all of the paperwork all in one place and you just fill it all out. It's like pre-stamped and everything and you just send it off. But I haven't found one in Canada yet. So I'll probably still use the thing for the States. But That's genius. Yeah. Okay, so you, you're American, correct? German-American, but yeah. Oh, okay. So when did you, I think I read that about you. You moved to the U.S. when you were younger? Yeah, when I was 13. So I moved for eighth grade and then was in the States. I was in Charlotte, North Carolina till I was like 24. 
five and then moved to Florida. And then shortly after that is when I did Paradise and then met Kevin and then immediately got (laughs) imported to Canada. (laughs) Where in Germany were you from? Stuttgart area. So Southwest, like I always flew into Munich when I would travel back to Germany. Okay. So my experience in Germany, I had a conference in Heidelberg. Okay. It's like the cutest little town. I was obsessed. So was it a shock for you to move from Germany to the U.S.? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like it just, I didn't speak the language, right? And everything was so big. Like the highways were so big. The cars were big. And it's just a totally different way of life. And I say now being in Canada, I find it's like the perfect little combination of that Americanized kind of world, but also having some more culture and a little bit of that European feel. Totally. Europe is very like quaint and everything is condensed. (laughs) Like you were saying, like the roads are narrow, the cars are small, everything's smaller. And then the US is just like, whoa, just, yeah, (laughs) it's a lot. So the first question that I usually ask people, even though I have already asked you a million questions, I usually ask people what their transition into motherhood was like. So What was that like for you? Was there anything that you didn't expect? What was the recovery like? Oh, I feel like the whole thing was just a shock. Like I, I, part of it was because I didn't want to stress out. So I didn't research as much as like a type A personality maybe would. Like the delivery was fine. I didn't realize what came like post delivery. Like I didn't realize I wouldn't be able to sit for like two weeks afterwards. I was like, wait, 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 this is like this donut pillow is now part of my personality. (laughs) It was, it was a complete shock, honestly, but you know, you slowly kind of get the hang of things, but it really is true that you don't get it until you go through it because your friends can like warn you and tell you all about it. But like, they can't truly explain what pushing feels like until you're like pushing. Like it's just like you got to feel it yourself. I remember thinking back to everyone that I knew who had recently had a baby and wondering like, is this what they went through? You know, like it was shocking to me. And you hear about it. Obviously, you think there is going to be some recovery process and pain involved. But like you were saying, I couldn't sit down. And then I'm like bringing Milo to doctor's appointments when he's like three days old. I'm like, I can't even sit in your waiting room. Like it just the whole experience blew my mind. And that's basically why I started doing what I do now, because I just want to talk about these things. Yeah, the things that like nobody really fully prepares you for. Because I guess there is no way to perfectly prepare someone, but it, everything was a shock to me. And like I told I I told my best friend, I'm like, I'm kind of mad at you. Like you have a three-year-old and you did not give me proper warning for what this was going to be like at all. Like you just, she did send me that freedom mom recovery kit, which was great. So I feel like she did look out for me somewhat, but Maybe she didn't want to scare me. I I did say I want to just go into it totally ignorant. How old is Augie? That's what you call him, right? Augie? Yeah, Augie. He's 16 months now. Okay. So you are somewhat newly pregnant with your second. Yeah, I'm only 14 weeks with the second. So just in the second trimester. How are you feeling right now? I'm really good now, but the first trimester... (laughs) with a toddler. Again, I was like, I don't remember it being like this at all. 
because like there's no napping now. Like before, I just remember I was always falling asleep watching TV or going to bed early or sleeping in. And that just didn't happen with him. So the first trimester was pretty rough. But now I'm like finally getting my energy back and getting back to myself a little bit. I feel like these are like the blissful days until I then just become ginormous again, (laughs) comfortable and swollen. So I'm trying to like ride the highway. Do you think Augie understands? No, he has no clue. Like, I think maybe once I start showing and getting bigger, he'll kind of be like, oh, mommy looks different. But I think he's still too little to fully get it. He's in his own world. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. And does Kevin, for your first, for Augie, did he have time off of work? Yeah, so he, so because I just work for myself. I didn't have to take maternity leave. So he was able to do paternity leave. So he was actually off for like nine or 10 months when Augie was born. And we like escaped the winter and went down to Florida and stayed with my mom for two and a half months. Like it, it was incredible. Like, I think that'll be the biggest shock for me this time around because he's not going to take paternity leave when the baby's born again. So that'll be like a total shock, I'm sure, because I had so much help the first time around. And your due date is? October 8th. Okay. So right as it starts getting cold. <laughs> so are you going to have to live through the winter here? So I think what we're going to do, we're still trying to figure out details, but I think we're going to delay his paternity leave and then maybe try to leave again in like March when it's kind of the worst. Like try to get out of, like have him take paternity leave maybe for just like three months and get out of here March and April and then slowly come back as the weather starts to turn again because like Christmas and all of that I enjoy in the cold and then January comes and I'm like okay it's getting really freezing and then by February I'm just over it so my mom was just saying she's like you know what like because she wants to go away next winter she's like I'm not even going to go away for you know December January she's like no end of March is when we need to go away because it's like the winter is hanging on and you're sick of it and you're over it for sure. Yes. It's not nice anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I feel like we're getting teased this week with the nice weather and then it's just going to be back to like rainy terrible April, but like better days are ahead. Like we we've made it. Pretty close to made it. So, when this episode airs, it is Fertility Awareness Week in Canada. I know you went through the IVF process for both pregnancies, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. So what was your experience with infertility? Like how long were you trying? Did you suspect something was wrong? Did you go through all the testing? Like how did that end up going for you guys? We didn't go and see a doctor until we were about a year into trying. I remember when we hit the six month mark, I'm like, okay, like I I feel like I should start being worried. Like maybe something is off. And all my best friends had just had kids. Like my three best friends had just had kids within like two months of each other. And I remember I read some statistics somewhere and it must've been a US one. And it was like one in four women have some kind of an issue. And I remember being at that six month mark and thinking like, oh my goodness, like I'm the one in four because why have I not gotten pregnant? So we had been trying for a little over a year when we went in for testing. And it actually turned out that we had unexplained infertility. So like Technically, nothing was wrong with my eggs. I had my tubes tested. Kevin's sperm was tested. And we just weren't getting pregnant, which was frustrating, right? Because there wasn't like a fix. Like there was nothing the doctor could give us to be like, okay, this is what you have to do, or this is why it isn't working out. 
And that's when we kind of started on this whole process. And similar to motherhood, it's that holy shit, what the fuck? It's like nobody talks about infertility either. Like, I think it's getting a little bit more of a common topic now. But back when we were going through it, nobody was open about it on social media and people weren't posting about it lots. So every day was like a new learning curve, really, with it all. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. Did you guys try the, what's it called, IUI? I'm like pretty well-versed in fertility stuff because my sister went through it for years. And similar to what you're saying, I remember thinking like watching what she was going through and then seeing how people talked about it so nonchalantly, just like, oh yeah, no, so-and-so is doing IVF. And it's like, oh, cool, like da-da-da, like move on with my life. And it's like, no, you don't know how big of a deal it is. Like it blew my mind. I feel like prior to the last few years, when I thought of IVF, I just thought of like celebrities doing it because they were like 
trying to have a boy and they wanted to do the gender selection or they like knew they had to be pregnant then because they were going on tour the next, you know, like it's like a fancy thing. Yeah. Like I thought of it as like a thing rich people do because they can and they're just rich people. So I really didn't know much about it. And I didn't realize how long of a process it was. I didn't realize how many medications and shots and all of that go into it. But we did do two rounds of IUI first because we didn't want to jump into like me being fully medicated and we wanted to see if we could avoid IVF because it's so expensive too. But then my second IUI ended up getting an ectopic pregnancy, which is pretty common with once you are on any kind of drugs because you're just overproducing eggs at that point. So then after that ectopic pregnancy, my doctor suggested doing IVF because once you have one, you're really prone to them again. And so she just wanted to preserve my tubes because we caught it really early. So thankfully, I was just able to take some methotrexate and terminate that way and not have to have one of my tubes removed. So IVF was the next step. What was your signs or did you have symptoms to discover the ectopic? No, it was just because I was on like cycle monitoring and on, I was going in like every two to three days for blood work to see if the pregnancy had worked for like my beta work. And then I was getting ultrasounds like constantly. And then the one ultrasound tech eventually caught it in one of my tubes. And so then I, that same day had to have the medication to keep it from growing and rupturing my tube. So did you guys do one round of IVF and how many transfers did you end up doing? So I feel like in all of like the craziness that all of this was, we got really lucky once we then went the IVF round, we did one retrieval. And with that retrieval, I think we got like nine fertilized eggs and, you know, the numbers dwindle down, I'm sure, as you know, with your sister. And then after genetic testing and everything, we ended up with three embryos and then Augie stuck on the very first transfer. Go Augie. I know. And baby number two is the second transfer. So both of my transfers worked like right away. So I'm excited because they say that when you have the kids from the same embryo batch, that's like the most they can look alike. So I have a feeling it's a boy and I just feel like him and Augie are going to be little twins. Like best buds. Yeah, for sure. So you being American, when I was reading about your story, this is what I was curious about. You being American, but going through IVF in Canada, because I know in Ontario anyways, people have one free round that's covered by OHIP. Mm -hmm. How does that work with you being American? So I wasn't a resident yet. So we actually had to pay for everything out of pocket at the time. Like I had put in my application to be a resident, but until you get that paperwork, you cannot apply for OHEP. So like even every ultrasound, all the blood work, everything had to be paid for out of pocket. And we thought about waiting, but even with those funded cycles in Ontario, they're actually not just available whenever you want it. It's like they... Get it's a waiting released game. in April and it's a waiting game. And so I remember, I think we went into our first appointment. It was like right after the pandemic started. So it would have been like April or May of 2020. And our doctor said that they were all done for the funded cycles of the year. And we would have had to, we would have had to wait till April the following year. And we were like, there's no way we don't want to wait that long. So even though there is at least that one funded cycle in Ontario, it's still, it's, hard to like play that waiting game, especially when 
you've been like if you're seeking help you've been trying for most likely over a year if not longer so to hear eight more months nine more months it's like it's too long frustrating (laughs) yeah it's frustrating so if the roles were reversed if you were Canadian and Kevin was American would you then be able to to do the covered round I actually think both parts of the couple have to be Canadian residents. Yeah. Because he still had to like give his birth. Like there's still parts to his part that have to be paid for. So the only thing that we ended up getting covered was the meds because I was under his benefits. So since he's a firefighter, he has like amazing benefits. So that's the one thing that we were able to not have to pay for out of pocket, which is like a huge expense with IVF. Yeah. Are you comfortable saying what the process costs, like ballpark? Because I don't think people understand. Yeah, I mean, I think for us, we spent about all in all, because not all of the meds were covered. We did genetic testing. I want to say we spent close to Mm $20,000 or just that that one retrieval. And then again, like when we just did this last transfer for baby number two, we had to pay, I think it was like $3,000 again, just to do that transfer and like get the embryo glue and stuff like that. And then you pay the storage fee. It's like every year that's $500 to just store the embryos that like, you don't even know if they're going to work or not. So crazy how much it adds up. Living in Canada, obviously most of my friends are Canadian and having kids. And I feel like I know so many people who have gone through IVF Given that you're American, like, are you aware of lots of people in the States that are going through IVF or, cause I'm assuming they have to pay for it out of pocket. Yeah. It's regardless. all out of pocket. It's all out of pocket in the States. So I have a couple of friends that went through different fertility treatments and I find people do a lot more cycles of IUIs in the States because it's just such a lower cost because they don't have that option of the funded cycle. So I think the IUI we did were like four or five hundred dollars per try or something like that, not including the meds. So that's like a lot more doable for the average person, I would say. And that's still expensive to spend an extra five hundred dollars a month, you know. Do you think your experience in early motherhood is different because you went through that? I I think I'm just appreciative in like a different way. Like I, I remember I like didn't worry and I didn't stress during my pregnancy. And like when I have those bad days, it's like I remember how badly I wanted it and how like much I wanted it. And then even the second time around, you know, it's like the meds and everything with the toddler and your hormones, it was like next level. But I kept having to remind myself that like I had two transfers stick the two times I did them, you know, it's like, that's, that's a huge thing. So I think I'm just so much more grateful. Yeah. And do you ever feel, I always worried about this for my sister. So her, my niece now is 10 months old. And I remember thinking when my sister was pregnant because she went through like a few different transfers. She did one round, but like multiple transfers. I think one was the first one was ectopic The second one didn't work, whatever. I think she went through like four. And I was always worried that when she eventually became a mom, she would feel like she couldn't not vent about difficult things, but 
you know, what I do for a living is talk about the realities of parenting and motherhood and difficult moments. And I was like, oh, I hope she doesn't feel like she can't be open and honest about things that are really hard, like your baby not sleeping or whatever. Like, did you have any of that kind of feeling? You know what? A little bit. And like, obviously I'm the same, right? I share lots on social media and I do feel like I can't get on Instagram and complain the same way because I now also realize I have a community of people who follow me because they're going through those treatments themselves. So it's like, if my kid is having a bad day, it's like they would love for their kid to, to have, have a bad, a bad day. day. They would love to have a kid that's not sleeping through the night, that they're like rocking to sleep for hours and hours and hours. So I definitely feel like when I do have those like, moments of complaining it's more so in private and to Kevin and to my best friend to where I don't really like publicize that the same yeah that makes total sense I never thought of it that way if you weren't an influencer or a public figure do you think because what's shocking to me is a lot of women go through infertility and treatments and IVF and not like having a community around them not feeling like they're able to talk about it. If you weren't a public figure or an influencer, do you think you would have still been super open about it with everyone? Yeah, like I I don't know if I would have been the same as like making it like a post when I came out with my pregnancy announcement per se, but I definitely think I would have been open about it because I don't know, with my friends, at least I'm like such an oversharer. It's like they know all the different parts of what's going (laughs) on in my life. But I found it interesting that I have friends that since I've come out with it have reached out to me privately and like lots of girls who are just like acquaintances who tell me that they're going through infertility and are asking me for advice and we're going through their treatment plans. And then I later on see them like announce they're pregnant or whatever, and there's no mention of it, right? So they don't want to publicize it. They just want somebody that they can talk to that has been there and done that. So, I mean, I don't know. It's so hard to say, but I def- I'm proud to say that Augie is an IVF baby because I know all the work that went into it. So I imagine even if I wasn't a public figure, I would want people to know because I would want them to realize like, what I had to do in order to have this baby. Yeah. So the Fertility Friends Foundation, how did you become involved with them? And also, what are they? Because I feel like a lot of people listening may not have heard of that foundation because I hadn't heard about it. And then when I was on their website looking at what they do, I was like, this is incredible. incredible. They really are incredible. So they're a registered Canadian foundation. And I got involved with them through my fertility doctor. So she is actually on the board and she joined, I believe it was last year in the summer and like June or July. So she's been with them for almost a year. So when I was going in for baby number two, we just kind of got to talking and she said that she had been a part of this foundation and she thought I should speak to the founders and the director. And I jumped on a call with them and same. As soon as I learned about them, I was like, how can I be involved? How can I help spread the word? You guys are amazing because they do for families what I was able to do, right? Like they provide grants to families who are, who don't have the financial means to go through rounds of IVF or IUIs or surrogacy. You know, there's so many aspects to it. Like we talked about the funding earlier and that applies to like 
heterosexual couples, right? A man and a woman and residents and they apply. There's not that same funding for same-sex couples and they provide grants to same-sex couples as well so they can go through surrogacy and stuff like that. Okay, wait, hold on. So if there's a same-sex couple that wants to go the surrogate route and do IVF, that's not covered? So if it's a, I I think if it's a same-sex female couple then they can go through IVF. But if it's the same one sex, of them male is male, doing none of them are doing it. So their only option is surrogacy. And surrogacy is like 75% in Ontario is the pocket. So there could be some minimal funding, but it's not the same as if it's just Kevin and I going in and right. needing to have our first cycle funded because it's you're not having the procedure, right? Like you're now asking somebody else to carry the baby for you. You don't have eggs to get, like you need those donors and all of that. So there's just a huge other expense that is, goes way beyond IVF if you're a same-sex couple. So there's like a whole group of couples wanting children that are just not... That have to pay for it out of pocket. Oh my gosh. And so Fertility Friends Foundation is really great because the grants that they give, they really make sure that they have a diverse group of people that get that grant. It's also like they help singles get it as well, right? So if you're a woman and you just want to have kids and you don't have a partner, you should be able to and you should have support. Yep. Or a single, like I follow a guy in, he lives in the US. He's wealthy. He's a single man and he had a baby via surrogate, but obviously he's able to to pay for it. it. Yeah. Yeah, because that cost is I I'm I i do not know the numbers on how much it is to do surrogacy, but you have to pay obviously the person carrying. You have to get the egg donation. You and then what if you also have problems with your sperm? Then on top of that, you also need a sperm donor or then you know, two women, they need a sperm donor, like they just have the eggs. So there's just so, so many different avenues. And I think that's where like, I'm hoping the fertility conversation kind of shifts a little bit. Because I think when we think of people struggling with fertility, we just have that image of just a man and a woman, and they just can't get pregnant. And it goes so much beyond that. Yeah, no. And like, I'm guilty of that. Because when you just brought that up, I was like, Oh, my God, I have never even considered that because I think in my mind I just assumed like one round being covered is universal like Mm -hmm. that would apply to everybody but no hmm okay well there is (laughs) like it's like shocking right (laughs) I know like literally and that's why I love doing this podcast because it like opens my mind to a lot of things too just talking to different people about all these topics. So there is a Fertility Friends run on Saturday, April 29th. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Where is it happening and how can people get involved? So it's at Oriole Park and it's going to be from 11 a.m. till 3 p.m. And I don't want anyone to get get discouraged by the run because you can also walk. Like I'm going to have Augie in the stroller and do the 5k walk. And then there's also going to be a 1K kids run. So if you really want to like take it way easy, you bring your kid and you can just do a 1K walk with them instead. So you can really like under commit to the distance. So there's a couple of ways people can get involved. They can create their own teams, which if you go to the website, fertilityfriendsfoundation.com, it has all of that information. 
So you can create your own team and like really go for it and try to raise some money and get a bunch of people running with you. Or you can just register to run individually. It's $50 to register and that gets you like your t-shirt, your little bib, get the food and drinks and stuff afterwards. Or you can just donate as well. They have a donation button there too if you just want to give a little bit. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double-action combination of prescription-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner... I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Are you nervous about becoming a mom of two? I am, but I just got Augie into full-time daycare that he's going to start in September. So I feel like that's kind of relaxing my mind a bit knowing that he's gonna like he's gonna be away those five days a week morning till afternoon because I think the thing I'm most worried about is not getting that same bonding experience with the second one that I had with Augie because all my attention was on him I I don't want to not have that same bond with the second and I feel like he's so much like your boy mom right like yeah they're insane (laughs) Like he doesn't stop moving. Like there is no rest. He's like an energizer bunny. It's like, there's no sitting down for arts and crafts and like calmly doing things. It's just like, go, 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 go. Let me run into the wall. Milo thinks he's Spider-Man half the time. He's like, like jumping around. I'm like, oh my God. So yeah, like I think I'm worried about having that same like time to give a newborn, but then I'm like, I've now I'm trying to remember how much they sleep in the beginning. Like I so yes. took that for granted when Augie was little, 
because I just felt like I got to like text everyone and take every video of him just like sleeping and stare at him the entire time. I didn't do the when he naps, you nap. I feel like now if we'll be at daycare and the newborn snapping, like I'm a hundred percent turning off all the lights and going to sleep. Yeah. You need to do that. <laughs> so with Kevin being a firefighter, I'm assuming that's shift work and odd hours. Yeah. So he does 24 hour shifts. He works about seven oh, wow. to eight shifts a month, depending on how the schedule falls. So it gets a little chaotic sometimes when he's gone. Like he once a month, he works Friday for 24 hours as the Saturday off and goes back to work again on Sunday. So those weekends are always crazy for him to be gone two out of the three days. And is he ever sleeping during the day at home? You know, he's pretty good for the most part. Like at least when he comes home from work, because he's still like alert and with it, he'll kind of like take over the morning shift or like get him ready for daycare or whatever it is. But he definitely naps. He has to. Like this week, this week he worked four shifts. Like he worked 96 hours in seven days and it was craziness. And I was forcing him to go to, he, like, he feels bad. He was like, I don't want to leave you by yourself. I'm like, it's okay. Like for weeks like this, this is why there's an iPad in the house. Like you go nap and I'm putting on cocoa melon and I can get a bunch of shit done. And like, everybody's happy. Everybody wins. Yeah. This was part of my, like, I think we're just going to have one. Milo's four and a half now, but part of my like thought process of that was that my husband's job is so not flexible. He's a urologist. So he's on call all the time. Like he can get called in. It's usually at dinner time. He gets called in then it's like, oh, nice for you. You get to miss like bath time, bedtime. Like, so I was like picturing now me having a baby and a four-year-old that thinks he's Spider-Man and, you know, being alone on weekends or whenever he gets called in and he has, I'm like the flexible one because like you, I work for myself. So if Milo is sick, it's like me at home with him. And I was like, oh, like, I just feel like when you're the flexible one, like everything gets put on you. And it's like, that was like part of my thought process. But in my mind, I was like, if we ever did have a second one, I would get help. Help, for sure. Like help. And I think a lot of people are not ashamed to say that, but like they feel like they have to do it themselves. But is that something that you guys have considered? Like, I know you said he's going to daycare, but do you think you'll get help once you have two? I think, well, I know both of our moms will come visit in the beginning. Like, I think my mom will come for like three or four weeks and then his mom will come. So we'll have them in the house. Like the whole point of us moving to the suburbs was so we could have a basement and have an in-law suite and like be able to like kick everyone downstairs and just like have a moment. But then I'll, I'll, I would definitely consider it because I don't think the second one can start daycare until, you know, for, at a, while, least yeah. for a bit. Right. So we'll have to definitely think about it once we get there. But I was so pro daycare once we like made that decision because I couldn't function. Like I couldn't function on the day to day and like get anything done. It was like, I felt like every day my list just kept getting longer and I would get like three things crossed off of it. And I just felt like crap about myself every single day. Cause I just couldn't even put a dent in it. 
So, I mean, sending him to daycare was like the ultimate lifesaver because it just gives me time to just do like simple things, right? Just respond to a couple emails and wash my hair. And like, maybe I get to work out too, like for the first time in over a year. Yeah, I love that. So he's 16 months. What has been, and you said like newborns, they sleep a lot. And I remember thinking like the first three, four months, I was like, oh yeah, this is like, I could still get stuff done. I'm a busybody. So, you know, he's sleeping. I'm like doing stuff around the house. Once he started crawling, I was like, okay, (laughs) this is not that fun anymore. Like he's super cute, but it was really difficult. Do you find the crawling stage the most difficult so far? I actually found once he was walking, it was the hardest because he They're just, more unstable. He yeah. skipped walking and just went straight to running. And then there's just so many tumbles and falls and everything is a cry. Like I felt with the crawling, it's like if I saw him, I knew it would still get him a certain amount of time to get to where he was trying to go. Now with the just straight up running... There's just no standing still. And we have the two dogs too. So it's like when they're uh, all three going at it, it, it gets dangerous because yes. Augie doesn't look at where he's running, you know? So I find the spills are just like much more severe too and result in much more cries than any crawling ever did. <laughs> so when Milo was Augie's age is when quarantine happened. My husband's a doctor, so oh he God. was working his regular job. So I was at home with Milo. With nowhere and to go. Nowhere to go. But he is like motoring around the house. But just like a cautionary tale for everyone listening to. He, I was just washing the dishes. It was a regular day. We had two dogs at the time as well. And he would chase the dogs around the house. And all of a sudden I look up and he's gushing blood from his head because he was chasing the dogs and ran right into the corner of a wall. Oh my God. So I'm panicking. I call 911 because I don't know what to do. It's like an open wound. Yeah, you see blood. I'm like trying to stop it. I'm freaking out. I call my husband at work once I had called the ambulance. So the ambulance comes and because it was COVID, they weren't going to let me in the ambulance. But the guy, I think, felt bad for me. And he was like, listen, just don't say anything to anybody, but I'm going to let you come in. So we go to the ER. My husband meets us there. And then he had to get stitches in his forehead. And now he has a scar there. But I'm not even kidding you. Every corner of the wall in my house was I duct taped pillows (laughs) to every corner. And This is when I was making a lot of TikToks at the time. And everyone in the comments would be like, what the fuck is on the corner of your walls? I'm like, listen, okay? We had an incident. So I understand your concern about the running and not looking where you're going. Because it's a legit concern. And it's terrifying. I'm like, how are you just so fearless to where you're going full speed, but you don't know where you're going? I just don't understand how you don't have that concept of, danger being out there but right now he doesn't get that at all yet no totally okay before I let you go I wanted to ask you because I know you were on reality tv I love reality tv also your season of the bachelor I'm pretty sure I watched it so like I probably watched you on tv which is so weird likely well the winner was Vanessa and she's Canadian too 
Vanessa Grimaldi. Oh, okay, okay. Like so many people talk about The Bachelor and they're like, oh yeah, this season with this person and like they know everything. To me, it's like all a blur all and a blur. I don't really know <laughs> like who's who, but like I definitely would have seen you on TV, which is funny because now we're chatting. But do you watch Love is Blind? Yes, I do. And I think I realized that it's already out in the States, right? And it hasn't been released fully in Canada because I keep trying not to see spoilers. So season four has been out now, but we're waiting on the last two episodes, yeah. I think. Yeah, like the final decisions, on right? Netflix. And then the reunion, too. I'm so yes, into it. Yes, the reunion it. I want to see. That show is so addicting. But because you have been on a similar kind of reality show where you're just like seeing everybody, it's a completely different concept. Like, what are your thoughts about the whole like dating without seeing people? I think it's actually genius. Like I, I love that. Yeah. I, I, I love that idea of it. And like, so when Kevin and I were on paradise, like the only rooms that had air conditionings were the boom, boom rooms is what they call them, which is like the worst thing to call them. But we were like a week into it. And he was like, okay, do you want to keep sleeping in the bunk beds with the bugs and the heat? Or should we start sleeping in the boom, boom room for the air conditioning? I'm like hundred percent air conditioning and I want my own shower. And so I find that must be like the most similar to what they're like in the pods because there's no cameras. Like they turn them off once it's like 10 o'clock and we were just in there just like actually having the most boring conversations I would never make it on TV, but that's kind of where you connect with people the most. So I think the pods are the best. And I love when then you also see the couples that then see each other and like purely want to date based on looks and they're just not into it. And you can just tell immediately by their body language. It's just, it's such a cool exper experiment that they're doing. I love it. And I always think to myself, Everybody is so mature and says the right things when they're in the pods. And then as soon as they're in the real world, it's like red flag, red flag, red flag. Like all of a sudden, I guess like the like external. You're like, in a bubble. That's, influences. Yeah. That's why, the sh that's why like the Bachelor shows work too, to a certain extent, because when you're there, like you also can't mess up, right? There's no like being drunkenly in a bar and then you see the guy hit on somebody. Like there's none of that, right? You're just focused on each other. There's, I call it love camp. Like you're literally sleeping in bunk beds and just talking about love the entire time. And it's, there's no outside sources. There's no friends influencing you. There's no exes trying to reach out to you. There's just none of that. And I feel like that's why Love is Blind has like even a higher success rate is because they then also just take, the physical aspect out of it. Oh man. Okay. I had to ask you that. I was like, oh, <laughs> this is because <laughs> I'm so into that it's show so right good. now. Uh, okay. So if people want to follow you on Instagram, find out more about Fertility Friends Foundation, where can they go? Yeah. So for me, it's just at Astro Block and then Fertility Friends Foundation is the same. It's just the at fertilityfriendsfoundation.com. And that's probably like the best way to get all of the updates on all of their events. And when grants are opening, we have another round of applications opening up this Friday or this past Friday by the time this airs. So if anybody is in the space of needing money too, they should definitely check out their Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was lovely to meet you. Thanks for having me. <laughs>